You know, Lee, to me, Luke's account of Palm Sunday sounds like a spy novel. A spy novel? Yeah, well, a very short spy novel. And not very dramatic. No. Nope. Not really uh, James Bond, more like John le Carre. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It starts with this impossible mission, this covert act of espionage. Jesus summons two of his key agents and he sends them into the village ahead with a mission. Steal a donkey. <laughs> and he gives them code words, code words to say if anybody challenges them. The Lord has need of it. I totally see that, mm-hmm. totally. These agents, these disciples are part of his conspiracy. Mm-hmm. The Jerusalem conspiracy. Ooh. Yes, that sounds like something by Robert Ludlum. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These disciples are in the inner circle. They have some idea of what's going on and what's supposed to happen, and they see that donkey stealing is critical to the success of the Jerusalem conspiracy. Well, if the disciples are in on this conspiracy, then Luke makes sure we know who isn't in on it. Mm. Right from the start, Jesus anticipates this pushback by the outsiders to the plot, the crowds. Mm -hmm. And he prepares the disciples for resistance from them. Jesus tells them, if anyone asks you, why are you untying the colt? He gives them a heads up. Totally. Mm. Exactly. It's like Jesus anticipates this engaged world, even when the disciples don't. Jesus wants the crowds, the stand-in for the world, for us in this narrative. He wants that crowd to be all in. He expects it, desires it even, for there to be a critical, even suspicious world. If anyone asks you... And they will ask you. Yes, they will. And the implication is that they should. They should ask. And I'm thinking that this is our cue from Jesus. We should not just be present in this world. We should be participants in it, bringing all of who we are to the circumstances not only for our lives, but those of our neighbors. So we should be watching, waiting, seeking, looking out. Right. And the owners of this cult, as representatives of the crowd here, the other people not in on the conspiracy, Mm -hmm. they don't disappoint. They're paying attention. They see something different happening in front of them, and they don't tune it out, they don't ignore it, and they don't go about business as usual. They're right there, asking about it, confronting these disciples. They they challenge the disciples, just like the disciples are challenging the world. And that's our cue, right? That's our instruction. Engage, world. Engage. So, are we watching? Are we bringing our whole selves to this world, to this life? Are we paying attention to God's work in this world so that we might be a part of it? And the disciples do what they're told to do, right? They know Jesus, they trust Jesus enough, and so they obey his instructions and they follow his words. They do what Jesus says. They untie the colt, and when they're challenged, they give those cold words because that's what it means to follow Jesus, to go where Jesus goes, and to do what Jesus says to do. And that makes me ask myself, Do I do that? Do I do that? 
Jesus is pretty clear about his instructions to, to all of us, right? It's not, uh, it's not a mystery as you read the Gospels. He tells us what to do. He says, feed the hungry, give something to the thirsty, offer healing, offer solace, challenge injustice, love unconditionally. Do I do all that? Well, once in a while. But those are the things that Jesus asks of us. Those are the things that Jesus needs from us. Exactly. I'm drawn to this silence from the owners of the donkey when the disciples tell them that the Lord needs it. And I wonder about that. Hmm, me too. The weird thing is, it works. Yeah. It works. The two agents, those two disciples, when the owner challenges them, they say, the Lord has need of it. And evidently, the owner just goes along with the plan. Right. I mean, these Joe Schmoes from, like, who knows where come over to take their property, and when confronted, they give a super cryptic answer. The Lord needs it. Ooh. And when they hear this, we hear nothing else from the owners who represent what is about to be the active and engaged Palm Sunday crowd. Now, I can't help but read into that that they think it's a good enough answer. Mm-hmm. It seems like it. Then they grab a donkey so that some nobody from Nazareth, some upstart from upstate can get a ride to the city. And, and they go along with all that. They don't pick a fight. They don't refuse. They don't say, hands off my donkey. Nope, nope, they don't. And the crazy thing in my mind is that they are seemingly satisfied with this, the disciples' answer. It's legit. Since Luke writes in no further conflict, it's like they accept that the Lord needs things, and they're willing to offer them. It makes me think of this scene from the musical, Come From Away. Well, we saw that. We loved it. How could you not? Mm-hmm. For those of you who have not seen it, there are discount tickets in April and May. It's a musical <laughs> about the true story of when 38 planes flying on September 11, 2001, were grounded in Newfoundland in a tiny town called Gander. Now, this town of only 10,000 people immediately has to respond to the challenge of housing and clothing, feeding, and then caring for these 6,579 passengers on their island. It is such a good story. It's a remarkable story. And this one scene is in my mind right now because it's when the townsfolk are trying to throw this barbecue for everybody. And a local resident asks one of the plain people, who just happens to be a young African-American man from New York City, he asks him to go into people's backyards and just, you know, take their grills. Mm, of course. And so he's like, what? Are you crazy? I mean, he's imagining that he's going to be shot by police or haggled by the owners. That would make sense. It would totally make sense. But he finds the opposite. So he starts going to houses, right? And his first one, he starts to lift up the grill. And the owner pops his head into the yard and says, what you doing? Mm -hmm. And uh, the guy says, "Um, I'm taking your grill. And he says, oh, sure, let me help you with that. Somebody needs it. So that's that. It's a crazy, Mm. wild, absurd reaction. Like the crowds to these disciples. The Lord needs it. Right. Well, then take it. Use it. Right? With my blessing and even with my help. And it makes me think to myself, am I willing to give what the Lord requires of me? 
God does require things of you and me and everybody. Exactly. Yeah, God we, depends on us. God needs us, right? And this is a pretty powerful point to remember on any day. But certainly on a Palm Sunday, looking ahead, right? God expects, desires, even needs our participation in this weird kingdom business building on earth. God wants us to be in this with Jesus. So I ask us all, what does the Lord require of us? And soon the disciples are asking themselves that same question. What does the Lord require of us? Well, the Lord requires your clothes. The Lord requires your cloak, your coat. So the disciples take off their cloaks and they put them on the back of the donkey. Now, why do they do that? Why I, do they do that? I guess it's to make for a more comfortable ride. For Jesus or for the donkey? Well, well maybe both. Right. Sure. <laughs> Sitting on coats makes the way easier for the donkey and also easier for Jesus. These disciples are willing to sacrifice their own comfort and their own privilege for somebody else. I see that. I see it. And it makes me think about what we're doing to make things easier for anybody. And for whom are we making them easier? That's a good question, Kay. Oh, I thank you, You're Lee. You're welcome. And this giving of the coats catches on to the crowd, doesn't it? It does. And if I'm looking closely at the scripture, there's a shift right here in our story. This very defined inside-outside group difference. Well, it starts to blur. And the disciples offer themselves to the way of Jesus, and then the crowds follow suit. And soon everybody's included. They all lay down their cloaks in right. front of him, it says. Exactly. Luke says, as Jesus rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. And they're upping the ante. They uh, lay them down right there in the dirt to keep the dust down and make the traveling easier for Jesus and his donkey friend. They keep doing it over and over. It's true. It's almost like Luke is telling us that even if the disciples or Jesus had tried, they couldn't have stopped the crowds from laying down these coats. They kept doing it like wherever Jesus goes. Yeah. And it helps me understand what's happening here when I remember that nobody just carries around a coat if you don't need it. This isn't a crowd of well-to-dos or elites. It's likely a crowd of religious pilgrims gathered together for the coming Passover holiday. And they're walking only with what they need. So if they have coats, they need them. Mm -hmm. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. I think so. Because this is how they follow the disciples' example. And how the disciples are following Jesus' example. They are, without being asked, giving of themselves. They're giving themselves to somebody else, sacrificing something for the way of Jesus. And a coat for somebody traveling, somebody not of great wealth and connection, some ordinary so-and-so, like you or me in a crowd, a coat can make the difference of not only their comfort, but the ability to complete their own pilgrimage. They're willing to do that, too. They're inspired. They literally lay down something to support the embodiment and the movement, the reality of the good news of Jesus Christ in this world. Amen. The crowds let go of something important to them to make this way, this way of Jesus. And so I'm wondering, on this Palm Sunday, what are we laying down? 
What are we letting go of to make room for Jesus in our lives and in our circumstances? And are we willing to let go of something that is important and needed for us if it's going to support and spread the good news of love and justice in this world? That is a super good question. Well, thank you, Kay. (laughs) And you've hit on the point where it says right in verse 7, the whole multitude. It's as if this little group of disciples and the large crowd merges into this multitude of Jesus followers all together. And at that point, everybody's a disciple. They're all praising God with joy. Exactly. Plus, I love that Luke makes it you know, as clear as possible, this melding of the multitude, this whole multitude, Luke notes, they sing praises with one loud voice, singular. They become one, united in action and in purpose. And it's a powerful moment, I think. And I think about the times that I have been in places where all the individuals gathered in one spot become one. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I've seen it here at worship, and I've seen it in rallies and protests. I think about the time when we were locked out of General Conference in St. Louis, and suddenly we all realized it didn't really matter. We could be the church outside the walls and outside the structure, and it seems like something like that is happening outside the walls and the structures in Jerusalem. It does, and I've experienced this too. I have a list kind of running in my mind, maybe you do, of those moments where many become one. Mm. I remember at Nora's baptism when the people that were standing around us instantly became our family. And then I remember most recently here, the Sunday after General Conference, I remember feeling that there was like a quality of the air shifted and that my body was poised to recognize that something was changing in the spirit of the gathered, we were becoming one. And at least in my own mind, I attribute those times to the community's incarnation of the present God. And here Luke is showing us the disciples and the crowds merging in purpose and in identity. Yes. And how are they doing this, becoming one? Well, they follow Jesus. They praise God. They call out the holy in their midst. And in that moment, they become one. So are we following suit? Are we following Jesus? And are we bold enough to shout out our praises of God and point out the holy happenings around us? Because that can be a powerful thing. It was powerful back then. It could be powerful now. Powerful and fearful to some because of the power of the people, the strength of a unified message of the present and power of God among us. Luke lifts up that in the face of this united multitude that some of these Pharisees, right, some of the religious leaders, honestly, they were freaking out. Mm-hmm. They want to shut it down. Heck yeah, they told them, tell them to stop. Shut them up. Order kids. them to be silent. Mm. It's a serious suggestion that reeks of fear and paranoia. I mean, let's be honest, they have reason to worry. Jesus has been targeted by Herod right from the start of his life. And we know that the Roman authorities are none too happy that their power is being usurped by this weirdo, renegade Palestinian rabbi who folks are actually listening and following. And here they are. They're 
out in the open, en masse, praising and calling Jesus the King who comes in the name of the Lord. The people are putting themselves in danger. But if you want to follow Jesus, you might need to defy the authorities from time to time. In their act of civil disobedience that day outside of Jerusalem, they're not going to worry about following the rules. They're not going to worry about following the way of the world. They're saying, you can have your rules. You can have your power. You can have the whole world. Just give me Jesus. They walk into that danger, and they risk it. But Jesus points out, not the people that the Pharisees want to shut down. Do you notice that? The hmm. truths the truths they speak and shout and sing and praise are what they want to shut down. And it's the truth of what they're saying that Jesus focuses in on. Yeah, Jesus is telling them and us that even if a disciple or somebody from the crowd was stopped, say, the truth would out. Some things just need to be said. And they can't be stopped. And it begs the question, what truths are we speaking up for? Who are we speaking? What just has to be said? Jesus needs us to walk with him, to make this way, to voice the message, and to embody the Christ ethic in the world. And it doesn't matter if we are the disciple or the donkey or the donkey's owner, the Pharisee or the pilgrim. We are each called into community. And this procession into Jerusalem depends on each of those players. Every person has a purpose. Every voice has value. And together with God, we have undeniable power. As we hear their story from that day, we can feel that power. So I guess we need to honestly ask ourselves and answer just as honestly. Are we like the living, willing ones who in vulnerability and strength step up and stand out and shout the truth of God's inclusive love, justice, and reconciliation for us all? Or are we obstacles to that message and its incredible resurrection power? What role am I playing in that procession? What role are you playing in that procession? And what can we do when we come together and when we act in holy communion, community, Together and with Christ leading our way, we can be the unstoppable stones on the pathway over which the divine enters, moves through, and can completely transform this world. Mm -hmm. Repeat after us. Blessed is the king. Blessed is the king. Who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. And glory in the highest heaven. Rise up. Shout it out. Repair the way. The way of our Lord. You can have the whole world. Give me Jesus. Amen.